0: Everyone, Welcome to the holiday episodes of For the Love of Books podcast featuring Indian small press authors with host Emma Polova. I would like to thank our sponsors Doug Chavand and the Lowell Ledger, our hometown newspaper in Lowell, Michigan. Today, I will be chatting with author Carol Nichols, who will announce the details of her book giveaway at the end of this interview. Hi, Carol.
1: How are you? Hi, Emma. I love Lowell. It's such a beautiful little Christmas town. It is, right? It's <laughs> it really is. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Well, t- tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. I am a sixth generation textile lover. Um, my great 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 grandfather founded a woolen mill in yale michigan and it went from generation to generation to generation for mill presidency but when i was 11 years old the yale woolen mill like hundreds of domestic mills in the country closed Mm -hmm. and so but i still love textiles it's always been in my nature and and in my one of my top interests and I've always loved history, and it probably was instilled in me the day that I went when I was 11, and I walked through the mill as it closed. So years pass, and I, I get a degree in clothing and textiles, and I teach at Michigan State, and I teach at Utah State. I'm a quilt artist, and I, but again, I've always had a love of history. And as um, a master's degree student, I wrote about the history of the Yale Woolen Mill. Our mill was one of 29 full production mills in the state. And I got a four point on it. Um, So then um, years, again, years passed. And I've always been interested in a story about the great thumb fire of 1881. If you hold up your left hand and you kind of wiggle out your thumb and kind of look at it and visualize that that whole thumbnail was burnt in a fire, September 5th, 1881. It's still our state's most significant natural disaster. So again, I was always interested in the story and I've heard kind of, oh, factual reports of it, but I wanted to tell a story that captivated people's interests, like with personal point of views of people who actually... Um, you know live through or lost people in that fire and so I started working on that years ago and sent it out to a couple of publishers and after a couple of years I did get a contract with a traditional publisher their small house it's called the wild rose press okay. they're in New York and uh, so the book was 17 months in edit edit. So tremendous amount of research went into the story. It's based on fact, but the characters are fictional, but they could be, they could, they're close to, to real characters that live through it. Um. So the three ingredients to Thumb, Fire Desire is the Thumb Peninsula of Michigan, which I just described. It's surrounded by the second of the uh, second largest of the Great Lakes, and that's Lake Huron. And then, a huge fire. Mm-hmm. Again, um, state's most significant natural disaster. Two hundred and eighty-two people were killed. Over oh. two thousand square miles of land was just demolished. And then the fourth thing, or the sorry, the third ingredient um, in this story was of de- desire, and that's the love component. And so it's a story, um, the main uh, romantic characters are an indi- indigent itinerant seamstress named Jen, um, Jenny and a widowed farmer named Peter. So the fire happened, um, as I said, in 1881. And smack dab, if you're looking at your thumb again, smack dab in the middle of the thumbnail is a tiny little per- village called Parisville. Parisville is the first Polish American settlement in the state of Michigan. Oh, really? I I would have thought it was something a little more famous or more Polish populated, like Hamtramck. But no, that title belongs to Parisville, Michigan. And on a national scale, we miss the uh, claim to being the first Polish American settlement in the country to a tiny little village in Texas called Panamaria. Maria, and we lose that title by only like sixteen months. So again, that's that's pretty pretty cool. So uh, most of the characters in my story are of Polish culture. So uh, if you're interested in Polish history and Polish culture, you will definitely find it in Thumbfire Desire. Oh,
0: wow. Yeah. So
1: are you of Polish origin? I am not, Emma. I adore Polish culture, though. My husband's family was very Polish, and my mother-in-law had some great recipes. She was a great cook, and so I'm not, by the way. <laughs> i can sew and i can write and i can enjoy cooking but uh, i'm a disaster in the kitchen um, but my mother-in-law was she's wonderful so um but yes polish polish people love their food and there's lots of polish eating in this story <laughs> so so it
0: shouldn't be it should be I like when you incorporate, you know,
1: cooking and cuisine into stories. I love that. Absolutely. And, you know, I learned that, you know, Emma, thanks for pointing that out. Because uh, one of the things that my editor taught me, too, is that whenever you have dining room scenes or you've got people just sitting down at the kitchen to eat, You need to describe the sense and the textures Mm -hmm. and and how people react to it. I mean, that's a big part of telling an authentic story. So it's very important. Yeah. That is very cool.
0: How long did it take you to write this from the inception, from the idea to the final
1: product? I love answering that question, Emma. All right. So <laughs> I got a hold of this story, I want to say probably about 20 years ago. And so I kind of jotted out down ideas about it and what it would feel like, you know, to, to look outside and see this, you know, the sky turning soot black at noon, you know, and and And, having trees fall, and the you know, the birds shrieking. and what was it like? So I started working on it. But, you know, life, I had children. I had a career. So I kind of kept this box that I that followed me. Um, they had all these little notes in it. And it wasn't until I want to see maybe five years ago when I moved yet again. And I had this box and I said, you know what? Either I'm going to do something with this or I'm going to have the biggest bonfire on Lake Huron and send the ashes out in a respectful way across Lake Huron. Yes. (laughs) So I put it together somehow and I I, uh, found a developmental editor and that's a key pivotal point in my writing because a developmental editor is a skilled person who will look at your story concept and say oh well i think i think that maybe this part of this story should go following where you're talking about you know the the mm-hmm. fires burning and the clothes being washed um, so that was very helpful in being able to sort through all of that. And then okay. she was very encouraging. And from there, I took it to like, okay, well, now I'm gonna send it out. I'm just gonna try this. What have I got to lose? I could still have the bonfire. So I sent it out to a couple of publishers. Um, the Wild Rose Press told me two things. I'm looking for stories for the from the Midwest. And so, Emma, and all of your followers, I want you to know that stories from the Midwest are wanted. Wink, wink. So keep writing, you Midwest authors. The other thing was that she liked my characters. Oh, good. Excellent. But Emma, it was two years back and forth with her before she gave me a contract. So, oh, I mean, you know, I'd get it back yeah. and she'd say, oh, I like this, but it's not, it. no, it's not good enough yet. So worked and worked for two years. And then finally I got a contract and then uh, back and forth with my editor again, and then the galleys and all of that. So it was 17 months with the company until it was, it debuted June 22nd of this year. Yeah. Oh,
0: wow. Well, congratulations. Thank you. That is awesome. Yeah. So, what kind of feedback have you had so
1: far? I love answering that question too. Uh, people are amazed at the amount of research. That's always oh, a jaw dropping okay. thing. I really stri- tried to stay true. Like, if I talked about sheep, what sheep breeds were used what what sheep breeds were in Michigan. Okay. What were the names of the plants that surrounded the riverbanks? Mm-hmm. What was the traditions of our indigenous people, who, by the way, are a very important thread to the story? And the reason that's woven in, Emma, is that in the immediate aftermath of the Great Thumb Fire a farmer walked out through his fields and part of his fields bordered the Cass River, which is a major waterway in the Thumb area. And day the day before, animals and humans stood together in that river trying to survive the fire. So there were accounts of people standing next to bear and deer and beaver and otter and muskrat and farm animals all you know staying in the river for however long it took but back to this farmer and his kind of touring his ground so if you can imagine hundreds of years of dried veg- vegetation have just burnt right down to the ground mm-hmm. and lo and behold there on the border of the river he stumbled upon a 20 by 40-foot Marshall Sandstone, and it was covered. There are over a hundred etchings in there, and so they called scientists and archaeologists who immediately descended upon this area and discovered this. They were ancient rock carvings from our native people that have been there thousands of years. And so I had to pull that into the story too. And so you have some indigenous people that they knew about this by what they call a blood memory. They knew of it, but they'd never seen it until after the fire. But today our indigenous people go there and do you know some ceremonial things Mm-hmm. Um, the petroglyphs are in Sanilat County on Jermaine Road you can go and visit um, they are in the National Registry of Historic Places and they are in Michigan State Park so what was the most challenging part of
0: putting this whole project together
1: oh boy <laughs> you're making me dredge up some ugly memories here
0: <laughs> I think no. Like, to help for, uh, you know,
1: other people to discern, you know, when they face the same challenge? That is a good question. I would say the biggest challenge was to keep going. Um, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And, and to every day um, find, or every time you sat down to write, to find something that you could improve upon and Mm -hmm. two of my biggest um words of two of my biggest tips for writers and would be writers and Mm -hmm. you can pay attention they can pay attention to this is that on every single page you have to have some kind of suspense Mm -hmm. now it could be small somebody's thirsty there's a scratch at the door yeah. or, you know, because then you get people wondering like, well, now what? Right. Or it could be something as huge as an ambulance flying by or a fire burning down your smokehouse, you know? And then the other thing is that every single page needs to have sensory items in addition to sight. So is there... Do you, what's a sound, a baby crying, a bell clanging, a boot stomping, or is it a smell, the piney scent of walking in downtown Lowell during the holiday season? Or, you know, if you're describing, again, food, what's the texture? Is it crunchy? Is it spicy? You know, so every page needs to have those two items.
0: So yeah. what have you learned about yourself from writing
1: this book? Emma, that's a wonderful question, too. I have learned that I'm not going to doubt myself anymore. If I... <laughs> I love that answer. No, nope, I'm not going
0: to. That's right. That is excellent. Yes. Because a lot of authors, you know, or wannabe authors, struggle with insecurities that prevent them from writing in the first place. So please give us advice how to overcome these insecurities.
1: You know what, Emma, again, that is spot on. And I'm really glad you're doing this podcast because it sounds like you're really encouraging people. That Um, is my goal. So I would tell everybody out there, listen to Emma because she's enthusiastic and she's encouraging. Those are the kind of people to surround yourself with. Yes. And then do like Emma's doing, pass it forward, encourage the next person, because that builds your writer community. And as you all know, writing can be very lonely because it's you, a piece of paper and a worn-out pencil. So when you find people like this and you find community like this, keep sharing and spreading that news.
0: Yes. Yeah. So what keeps you focused? Focused and like if we were to compare it to the
1: energizer body, (laughs) body, you know? What what keeps you energized? I like that idea too. And what I try and do is build little steps in my day so that I never get stuck. Cuz when you're stuck, your pencil won't move, you get depressed, you start biting your fingernails. So here's how here's something I do to overcome that. Okay,
0: tell us. I, Please tell us. I think that.
1: I think it's something I think of the things that bring me joy. For instance, I love to sew. I love to read. I love to watch birds. So what I'll do is I'll take a piece of paper and my pencil sitting next to me and then I'll give myself and I'll set my phone on a timer. 15 minutes, I'm going to write. I have to write for 15 minutes. And 10 minutes, I can go look at the birds. And then the next 15 minutes, maybe i'll put a load of laundry in but i keep it going i keep it moving so i don't okay. get stuck okay yeah. so what inspires
0: you the most where do you find your inspiration is it in nature or is it in other people's work in art or where where do you find your inspiration
1: i love oh my gosh you're so good at this i <laughs> i love i love asking people their stories you are there is there are we are just surrounded by the coolest stories and i especially like to do that with someone that i've just come upon a stranger even like today i went to an estate sale and this gentleman was so excited he found um some kind of a memorabilia from World War II. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, you know, I smile and I encourage him like, oh, I like history too. And we're just kind of, well, turns out that he's got this famous um, uh, uh, relative that was in the Civil War, okay? And this guy, there's a statue of him somewhere in Michigan. And so this guy <laughs> is just captive. And he's telling me these stories about, a sword that this relative had and was found, you know, a hundred years later yes. behind somebody's grand piano and the sword was returned to his family. I mean, but isn't that a great story? That is awesome. I, mean, I love that.
0: Whenever you have a sword, you have a tool to tell a story. I love it.
1: Yeah. Absolutely love it. So be curious. I know somebody else says that on some cruise commercial, but, Stay curious. Yes. That's very important. Very important. All right. Would you like to read to us? Oh, oh I would love, love to read to you. Okay. So, I picked out a couple of excerpts. One is as the fire is kind of upon them. Okay. And this is this is a point of view of a farmer, a Polish farmer. His name is Henry Pulowski? Henry Pulowski, like every good Catholic, was reluctant to refuse a request from a nun. Sister Nepomene would cast him a scalding scowl if, he, once he returned home, he reneged on his earlier pledge to haul both nuns to the northern portion of the community to glean more feathers. But the older the morning became, the more Henrik felt a growing anxiety. He wasn't the only one feeling it. He rode Mystic, the medicine hat colt, and the horse seemed overly skittish today. He should have chosen another mount. Noon drew close, so Henrik wasn't alarmed when he heard the church bells peal. God, he reckoned, wouldn't mind if just this once he said the midday Angelus on horseback, He was almost to the church cemetery when he spied a lone sheep, bawling and running loops. It had to be his. The only other Cotswold sheep in his village belonged to the Dalkies. How did it get here? All the way to the church cemetery. Stinker. He had to go after it. He reared Mystic tight and goaded him left to circle the sheep. Yeah. Henrik stood in stirrups pulled a length of rope from the saddle horn, and spurred the colt into a zigzag pattern as he maneuvered to seize the bawling sheep. The ewe darted and halted. Mystic zigzagged and stalled. The sky turned black as the ewe's nose. Smoke, as thick and curly as Cotswold wool, enveloped the ground. The sheep slowed and laid in her tracks. Henry slid off Mystic's back, tied the rope around the ewe's middle, and lashed the other end of the rope to the saddle's rear-rigging metal rings. He guided Mystic in a 180-degree turn, retraced their steps, and headed home. Crack, crack, crack. Trees snapped. The wind rushed. The sky curdled so darkly it obscured the sun. Clang, 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 clang. What the devil? That was not the Angela's father was ringing. Mystic reared, snorted, and bugled. Henry pulled the reins so tight he felt the bit slam into Medicine Hat Colt's jaw. Acorn-sized fireballs bobbed on the ground. Lightning flashes illuminated the rows of hauntingly white headstones. A figure shrouded in black fell on his knees and stilled. Father Graca, Henrik pushed his boots in the stirrups and squeezed his thighs into Mystic's heaving belly. They rode to the priest. Henrik jumped to the ground, grabbed father, threw him crosswise over the top of the saddle and wedged wedged himself back into his seat. He and the magical horse completed their second miracle rescue of the day. Did miracles like births and deaths happen in a series of three? A superstitious person of Polish heritage would expect that. So, what the hell would be the third? Henrik choked on a wad of fear and dug his heels into Mystic's belly.
0: Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. I love it. Love it. All <laughs> right. You. Would you like to
1: announce the details of your book giveaway? I am happy to do that, Emma. So I'm offering a giveaway and I'm doing this course in conjunction with Emma and her great podcast here. So here's how it works. The first person to email me, and I'm going to give you my email and address in a minute. The first person to email me will get an autographed copy of Thumbfire Desire and when I contact you, I will ask you who you would like it autographed to. All right. Yes. So here is the email address. I'll say it and I'll spell it out. Mm-hmm. It's Carol Writing at gmail.com. C-A-R-O-L-N-I-C-K-L-E-S writing. At gmail.com.
0: Excellent. Can't wait to see
1: who the winner is. Yeah. And please announce it on social
0: media, right?
1: Absolutely. Yes. Spread the word.
0: Spread the word. And what are your parting shots?
1: Parting shots. What do you, want
0: to, what do you well, want to leave our listeners,
1: aspiring authors with? I'll tell. Well, it's kind of a pitch for a new book, but um, it's it's a holiday romance, and holiday romances are huge. There were 143 new Christmas movies released last year, so if you want to write, write some holiday romance. So, uh, a couple years ago, my publishing house, the Wild Rose Press, they put out a submissions request for a series called Christmas Cookies. You had to have. You had to have a Christmas cookie in the title. It had to be just short novella length because they're Kindle version stories. Mm-hmm. And you had to include a recipe. Oh, so no. available now on all international online booksellers, including Amazon, BarnesandNoble.com, etc. For immediate download, you can find My Holiday Romance by Carol Nichols. Okay. And the title is Beards, Bruns Crackers and Snowflake Kisses oh. Bruns Crackers, Bruns crackers yeah. is a Swedish Christmas cookie and you get the recipe when you download the story Ooh, and it's right.
0: only $2.99 <laughs> sounds very tasty <laughs> It's like very to, fun. I would like to taste that. All right. Okay. My parting shouts read indie, buy indie, and write indie. Support your local authors, newspapers, and small presses. Keep your fingers on the keyboard and your butt in the chair. Keep on writing no matter what. Keep on writing. Do not get discouraged no matter what they say. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Right? You bet. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks.